Well, good morning, church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12. As Jeff mentioned, we are continuing to, to make our way through the gospel of John. And we, are, we will be looking at verses 12 through 19. And this passage is us, usually preached right around the time of Easter. It's, it's actually uh, a passage that we, we call the triumphal entry, but it's usually preached on Palm Sunday because this is the passage which they wave palm branches at Christ as he comes into Jerusalem. And so would you please follow along with me as I read from verse 12 through verse 19. This is God's holy and inerrant word. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been, writ had been written about him and had, done, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him, when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and as we have just sung, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and prepare our hearts to receive your word. Lord, I pray that you would help me, that you would be my help, and that you would be my strength. Lord, I pray that the words that I speak from your word would be truth, and Lord, that you would use these words for the building up of the body of Christ, and that you might be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like a good story? How many of you like a, a good movie? You know, one of the, the great themes that we see in our culture and probably throughout history is a, the storyline of the exiled king. The exiled king who is overthrown maybe by his arch enemy, and, and this arch enemy rules through fear and, and destruction. He enslaves the people. He brings the kingdom into to utter ruin. And in these stories, there's, there's usually a turning point when you, you see the exiled king come and he returns to fight against that evil, to defeat it and take his rightful place on the throne to restore the people and his kingdom. This is a common theme in many stories in our culture. You're probably thinking of some right now. Maybe you're thinking of the Lord of the Rings, the, the movie or the book, The Return of the King. In The Lord of the Rings, Aragorn, the, the ranger, eventually is revealed that he is the true descendant of King Isidore, and we see that he's the rightful king of, of Gondor, which has been under the control of Sauron. And, and he returns with his, with his arm, and he wages war against the darkness, and he takes his rightful place on the throne to restore his kingdom. 
And we, when we read stories like these, one of the things we have to understand is, is that many times these storylines originate in the Scriptures. We see this throughout Scriptures. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 11, there's the, the wicked queen mother, Athelot, or Athelot, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me try that one more. You know how many times I practice this? <laughs> Athaliah. <laughs> the wicked queen mother, Athaliah, took over the throne in Judah when her, her son, Ahaziah, had, had died. And, and, and after she takes the throne, she, she goes and she, she puts the whole royal family to death. I mean, her children and her, her grandchildren. And she wanted to eliminate any potential challengers. And you know, it was a very dark, dark time for the nation of Judah because wickedness reigned and darkness filled the land and the nation was led into to Baal worship. But, but there was a baby. There was a baby by the name of Ahaz, or named Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and, and they hid him away, and, and they actually hid him in the temple for six years, raising this young boy in the temple. And after these six years, he, he returned to the throne to inherit the kingdom. They put his grandmother to death, and this ushered in a period of righteousness, and the people rejoiced. But it's not that this this theme is, is found just in stories in the Bible. It is the theme of the Bible. It is the theme of the Bible. And we see this beginning in the very beginning in the fall of man, the, the kingdom. Adam has given over the kingdom in the fall of man. And there's a promised one who would, who would come and, and restore things and restore the throne. And we see this throughout prophecies in the Old Testament, culminating in a in one prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 where, where there's this promised coming of the Lord and it not only gives us the, that this, this promised Messiah would come, but, but it actually, if we were to look at it, you could see that there was an actual date of His coming. And so the people of, of Israel, there was, there was a great expectation at this time that, that Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. But as the king comes into Jerusalem. There, there are different responses, and we see this, and, and we know today as, as we preach the gospel to people, there are different responses, aren't there? There's some we tell, and, and they're skeptics, and, and there's some we tell, and, and they're, they're antagonistic, and then there's some that we tell, and they, and they receive it with great hope and joy. And you and I, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one of those who has received it with joy. And we have to be grateful that this king has, has come, but, but many misunderstand this king. They don't have the right motivations, and we see that in our passage. Now, so I want to look at this passage, and I, I want to look at it through various groups and in their perspectives on, on what Jesus' purpose was, that we might have the the right motivation in, in worshiping Jesus and coming to Jesus, that we might have the right understanding and that we might have the right response to the king. So let's look first at our first point, that the crowd's wrong motivation. And in this first point, we see 
what is said to crowds. But, but I want us to see three different groups in this passage called the crowds. Let's read verses 12 through 15. He says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and, and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So we see this, this large crowd. And then jump down to verse 17 and 18. It says, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So, so even though they are, they are called a, a, a crowd, there really are three groups of people that are part of this crowd. First, in verse 18, we see this, he says that there's this large crowd that, that left Jerusalem. And, and I believe he's talking about the same crowd in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, meaning in Bethany, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. So there's this one crowd that, that travels the two miles to, to, to see Jesus who has just come into Bethany. And so they go out to see him, and, but they don't just want to see Jesus. They want to see the man that, that Jesus has raised from the dead. So there's one crowd. Then you have another part of this crowd in verses 12 and 13. And this is the crowd that is, that is coming out of Jerusalem to meet Jesus. And as one crowd is coming from Bethany, you have this other crowd coming out to meet Jesus from Jerusalem. And so Jesus is coming down, down the Mount of Olives, and, and as Jesus approaches, they, they hail him as, as the king, and they wave palm branches. And then you have this smaller group mentioned in verse, 12, or verse 17. These were the ones who were with Mary and Martha and with Jesus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And they were the ones who were, who were bearing witness to what they had seen. And, and so when we, when we talk about this crowd, it's, it's, it's easy for us to say, oh, we, we lump all these together. And so there are generalities. So even when I say that some people rejected, it, it's not all the crowd that rejects Jesus. Some, some are bearing witness of Jesus. And so we have these different groups and the and in this one group, their, their testimony was spreading among all who were, who were gathered in Jerusalem for the Passover. So you have Lazarus being raised from the dead. You have Jesus coming into the temple. You have the Passover. And, and, and most scholars believe that at the, this time of the Passover, people, people have come from Judea, from, from Galilee, and really Greek-speaking Jews from all over the Roman Empire are coming to Jerusalem. And, and it's estimated there are possibly hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem at this time because they were there to, to celebrate the Passover. But what was all this crowd's mindset? What was, what was, their, what was their motivation? You know, because in this triumphant, triumphal entry, we, we see that Jesus is being hailed as, as king. And, but the problem was they didn't expect him to be the kind of king that, that he really was. They had the, the wrong understanding, and so they had the wrong motivation. And they really wanted a, a worldly type of king with, with political power. And we know this because 
what they do is they, they pick up palm branches, and these, these palm branches were, were a national symbol going back 200 years. During the Maccabean Revolt, a man by the name of Sion drove out the Syrian army out of Jerusalem, and they waved palm branches in, in celebration of his victory. They would later create coins with palm branches on them during the revolt against Rome. And so, so this symbol of these palm branches were, were there as a symbol of his, his coming in as a, as a conquering leader. So it says in verse 13, it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They're declaring him to be the king. And, and they say Hosanna, and this, this word actually means save us. Save us. They, they want Jesus to overthrow the Roman government. We would all agree that, that Jesus deserves every bit of their hosannas, doesn't he? He deserves to be hailed as, as king. But as we said, they were, they were looking for a, a political Messiah to bring, in, bring them deliverance from Rome. Yes, they're very excited. And, but brothers and sisters, they're, they're not humble. They're not a, a repentant crowd. No, this was not a crowd that, that wanted to, to, to hear from Jesus and, and to learn from Jesus and, and learn how to obey Jesus. No, their, their enthusiasm was for a miracle like he had done with Lazarus or a miracle of overthrowing the Roman government. But, but it sounds, I, I think, somewhat familiar to us that, because people want Jesus for, for all the wrong reasons, don't they? I mean, many people in our, our culture today, they, they, they want Jesus for what he offers them, but they don't want Jesus for who he is. They want Jesus for what he, he offers them, and, but they don't want to, to really come to a, a place of, of repentance where they turn from, from evil to, to good. In fact, many in this crowd, you know, that only five days later, that many of the same crowd would be what? Crying out, crucify him crucify him. In fact, if you just jump down to verse 17, it says this, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. These are some of those, those same people in this crowd. They, they didn't believe in him. They, they, they had seen the signs, but they still did not believe in him and what his purposes were. But in some ways, it looked like it. They're shouting out, Hosanna to the son of David, and, and he's coming in, but, but we see that they don't have the, the right motivation. And they want Jesus so that they can get what Jesus offers, but, but they don't want from Jesus what he demands of their lives. Yes, we know that Jesus at this point comes in, and he's, he's humble on a, on a donkey, and we know that he doesn't overthrow the Roman government, but there will be a time that Jesus comes in power and glory to sit on his glorious throne. And we long for that day that he comes back as a, not only a, a spiritual savior, but as a conquering king. So his first coming was one of a, primarily of a, a spiritual salvation, not to save from Rome, but to save from sins. So the motive of this crowd was, was wrong. Give us this physical manifestation of the kingdom. And we know, we know many people have 
that perspective in the, in the world today and, and even in the church. Many people claim to be, to be Christians, they attend churches, they sing songs, but when you look at, at their lives, maybe you look at Facebook or you look at their Facebook posts and you see that there's something that just doesn't match up from what they say and what they do, and it's, it's sad. You know, in some ways, they want to, to praise Jesus, but their lives are, are unchanged. They don't want His authority. They don't want to listen to the preaching of His Word. They don't want to submit to the Word of God. You know, they, they hear the demands of the new life, and they, they don't want it. They, don't want, it. they want, don't want a Jesus that is going to demand anything of their lives. So they have a, a, a superficial faith, and you know, there are many people who want Jesus for for the excitement and the, and the personal gain. And we've heard this statement, get your, your what? Your best life now. But we know that it's, it's not about getting your best life now. It's about losing your life. It's about losing your life so that, so you, so that you can gain a life that Christ has for you. I mean, Jesus will say in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. No, the, the Christian life is about giving up our desires for the sake of Christ's desires. But many people don't want anything like that, and so they're declaring him king, but they have the wrong motivation. And, and I think it's because they, they miss the true purpose of Jesus' coming. And although Jesus doesn't speak in this passage, I think we get a glimpse of his purposes in verses 14 and 15. It says in verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And in this one simple action of, of Jesus riding on a donkey. In this, in this one simple Old Testament prophecy, I think it helps us understand what his purpose was. You know, Jesus knew that, that he was king and that his first coming, he was to enter Jerusalem in humility. This passage is a, is a quote from Zechariah 9.9, which says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Jesus knew that his first coming, that he was to enter Jerusalem in humility, this humble and, and gentle king entering Jerusalem. And I was thinking about what I mentioned earlier about the Lord of the Rings. And in the Lord of the Rings, you see... Aragorn riding on this beautiful brown horse, and he's riding into battle. And then you see Gandalf, who's, who's riding in on this beautiful white horse. Now I just want you to picture Aragorn riding on a donkey's colt, riding into battle. It doesn't make sense to us, does it? We say, that's not, a way, that's not what a king does. No, a king doesn't ride in on a on a donkey's colt, he, he rides in on a stallion to, to conquer. But we see Jesus, he, 
He rode a donkey, which is not what we would usually think, but there will be a day. In fact, Revelation 19.11 says, there will be a day that he comes again and he will ride in on a, a white horse and that he will conquer and that he will bring in his kingdom. And so we long for that day, but, but Jesus is coming and he, he rides on a, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, and he does so because, because he's the, the humble king. During his, his incarnation and, and before his glorification, it was the time of his humiliation. He came as a king, but he comes as a, as a humble king, king. He came to offer himself, to offer his body, and they would kill him and and, and he would humbly shed his blood for our sins. And you see part of this attitude, as you, his attitude, as you look down at verse 24 of chapter 12, where Jesus says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what he was saying is if you know, I've come to die and, and be buried, and after I'm buried, I will rise and, and bear much fruit. Because Jesus knew that, that as he was being honored as king, that, that he would be rejected by the Jews. He knew that there were these plots against him, and they had already tried many times to kill him, and this time he rode in knowing that this would actually lead to his death. We know that he could have avoided it, but we know our Savior was committed to the will of his Father, and he knew that he would be resurrected. And he knows that they are only empty shouts of, of Hosanna. Empty. As Jesus is sitting there riding on this, this small donkey, and they're shouting Hosanna, he knows what awaits him in Jerusalem. And for us, brothers and sisters, and I think this is a, a takeaway that for us, he's a, a humble king, but for us, it teaches us that we should be humble ourselves, that, that we should follow this, this humble king, that we should learn from him. No, he did not conquer with a sword. No, he conquered with his enemies, with, with love. We're told that he demonstrated our, his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No, he laid down everything he had for his own people. I mean, earlier in his ministry, in Matthew 11, verse 29, Jesus would say this, Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He was gentle and, and lowly in heart. And he wants us to follow him. Paul will declare that in Philippians chapter 2. And we see in the very next chapter, after his triumphal entry, in the very next chapter, he gets down and he stoops down and he, he takes cloths and, he, and he, he washes his disciples' feet. And in humility, he, he gets down and he's humble and teaches us to have a, a humble attitude. And, and I, I just think about the love that, that Christ has. And it, it made me think about 1 Corinthians 13 and, and what love is. And, and for us as Christians, when we see this great love that this humble king has for us, it should drive us to have that love for others. That we would 
keep, be keeping no record of wrongs, that we would be long-suffering, that we would be willing to, to love people in a way that can only happen because Christ has first loved us. You know, we, we see his, his humble coming. We see the crowd's wrong motivation, which brings us to our second point, the disciples' confused understanding. See this in verse 16. It says, His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified then, they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. I mean, the disciples are in many ways just like the crowd. They don't get it completely. I mean, I think that they're, they're different in many ways. We know that Peter has confessed Jesus as the Messiah. He's proclaimed Him to be the Son of God, and even then, they, we know that they didn't fully get it. His disciples did not understand these things, it says. And I think for, for them, Jesus riding on a, on a donkey was not exactly what they expected either. No. We know that the disciples didn't want Jesus to go to the cross. Remember what Jesus did. He actually rebuked Jesus when Jesus men mentioned his crucifixion. Jesus returned the favor and rebuked him in return. But they didn't, they didn't see Jesus for, for what he had come to do. And they, and they often missed what, what Jesus was telling them. And, and only after Jesus was, was raised and, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit did they understand these things. I mean, John, back in John chapter 2, verse 22, it says this, is when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So it's only after. You now Jesus would say something and they didn't quite get it, but after the resurrection and when the Spirit of God had come upon them, they, they understood. Later in John 20, verse 9, it says, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Again, they were slow in their understanding. You know, here they, they didn't completely understand that, that Jesus would be coming humbly, riding in an, on a donkey. And I remember when I was a, a new Christian, or actually just before I was a Christian, I remember reading the Bible and, and trying to figure it out. And I read it, and, I, and there were certain things that I understood. I think there is some understanding that we can get from reading the Bible. But I really had no clue of, of what Jesus had done for me. I didn't understand that what he had done for me. I didn't understand who he truly was. I mean, we, we started out singing that we believe in the, in the triune God. We believe that, that Jesus Christ is, is God in the flesh. I didn't believe that. When I read the scriptures before I was a Christian, I, I read them and I thought, well, some of this makes sense, some of it doesn't. But when I, when I put my faith and trust in Christ and, and, and Christ caused me to be born again, my, my eyes were opened. My heart was ready to, to receive the truth of God's word. And I can, I can remember believing the, these new things that, that Christ was God in the flesh and that, that he came to, to purchase my life by his blood. And I can remember talking to my brother, who was not following Christ at this time either, and, 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 and talking to him about these things. 
and having him be confused. What, what do you mean Jesus is God? And having to explain it to him. No, the scriptures, the scriptures for me and for my brother needed to be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are many Christians who, who lack instruction, who lack understanding, people who may even be sincerely following the Lord Jesus Christ, but, but they're confused. And maybe you have received Christ as, as Lord. Maybe you understand that He is the King. Maybe you have chosen to follow Him. But maybe you have these questions and you don't understand everything about the Scriptures. And, and guess what? There are many, many just like you. But like the disciples, what they did is they learned. They, they, they hung around. They, they waited for Jesus. And when they waited for Jesus, Jesus opened up their eyes to, to these truths. So eventually the disciples did learn, and they ended up embracing the, the cross. They em, embraced the sufferings of Christ. They embraced not even the sufferings of Christ, but, but they embraced their own suffering. You know, they grew in their, their love for the humble Savior, and they they be began to be transformed by Christ, to, to take on His character, be, to be recreated in, in the image of Christ. You know, and they became models of uh, other believers, and through their, their humble imitation of Christ, people began to, to hear them, and as they preached the Word, people would believe so if you're a, a Christian that has a ways to go, I would encourage you to, to stay close to, to God's Word and to sit at the feet of Jesus, to meditate on His Word. And, and when you do that, you can grow in the grace and the, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No, we need to grow in understanding. We need to grow in understanding of His purposes. So we've seen the, the crowd's wrong motivation. We've seen the disciples confused understanding. But lastly, we see this, the Pharisees' angry response. And we see this in, in verse 19. It says this, it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. And that, that is kind of a confusing, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. And, and you know, I read a couple other translations. The NIV says this, see, this is getting us nowhere. All that we're trying to do is getting us nowhere. Or the NIV, the NIV I mean, New American Standard says this, you see that you are not accomplishing anything. You know, the Pharisees at this point are, are getting frustrated. They're getting angry. They're getting, they're getting angry at Jesus. They want to put him to death. They're getting angry. We saw last week that they're getting angry at Lazarus. They want to put him to death. Now they're getting angry at the people, but they're also getting angry at each other. And they're, they're pointing the finger you see that you are not accomplishing anything. You know, there was this departure, and possibly even among some of their own leaders, we know that Nicodemus would probably be somebody who left the Pharisees to, to follow Jesus. You know, people are leaving to follow Jesus. They're not following the Pharisees. They're not following the Sadducees. And what, what, what they're feeling is that the power that they have is slipping out of their, out of their hands, and many were believing in Jesus, and that was exactly the opposite of what these leaders wanted. No, they, they, they wanted Jesus to go away. And if he wasn't willing to just quietly go away, then 
in their mind, they, they would have to kill him. There was no other, there was no other choice. That, no, there, but in one way, there, I think there was a, a, a true concern that these Pharisees had. And they were concerned that if, if people were, were going after Jesus and following Jesus, that this could re- rise up a revolt against Rome. And in that revolt, Rome could come and, and crush their nation. So there's this, this true concern. But so, so in their minds, they've determined to, to put Christ to death. And you might ask, well, why didn't they just reach out and arrest Jesus right then? Because everybody's so excited that he's coming. He's coming to set up the kingdom. We know that earlier, there were other times that they would have tried to arrest him, but what does Jesus say? It wasn't his time. And so he escaped from him. But they're not about to try to arrest him. But they have a plan, don't they? No, they, they would like to set up this plan, and they'd like to find a good time. They'd like to find a time that the people would regain their side. And we see that happen, actually, in just a few short days when they, when they shout out, crucify him. But they say, look, the whole world has gone after him. And in some ways, I think that's a, an exaggeration, right? The whole world has not gone after him. But, but it's an exaggeration, and, and it's the way that they felt. But it shows that, that there were many, many people uh, from Judea and from Galilee and from around the Roman Empire who were declaring him to be king. And we read back in, in John chapter 11, verse 49 through 52, where, where Caiaphas, the high priest, says, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. No, they have, a, they have this fear of Rome. Put him to death and, you, and we'll save our nation. But John includes this statement back in John chapter 11. He says this, he says, Caiaphas... He did not say this word on his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. I mean, in a sense, look, the the world has, has gone after him, and that's an exaggeration, but we know that that is exactly what Jesus' purpose was. When he came... He came to die on a cross that he might go out to all the world. And we see that, that theme throughout the Gospel of John. When John uses that, that word world, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that every man, woman, and child on the planet. What it means is that, that God has a heart for the nations, not just Israel. So when we see God so loved the world means he has a message for for the nations, not just for the Jews. John's gospel was written for the, for the whole world. John was written to show all of the nations that the Savior has, has come. And we've heard this from the very beginning of the, of the gospel of John. We read in John chapter 1, verse 29, that, that John the Baptist declared what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We read in, in John three sixteen for God what? So loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we read in John three seventeen, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. We read in John 
chapter 6, verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And we read in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, when these, now these leaders see this, and they see these people coming to him, and they fear that, that this movement can't be contained. And the Pharisees join with the, the Sadducees and the chief priests, and eventually we'll see that they put him to death, and they, they mocked him and nailed him to a cross. And they say things like this to him, that you saved others, but now save yourself. And they say, come down from the cross if you are able. And they thought that they, thought that, that they had won. And when they still, but they still didn't rid themselves of Jesus. He came back. He was, he was raised from the dead, and people were being saved, and they were proclaiming that he, he had risen and they were preaching him in Jerusalem, and, and many people were coming to Christ, and they had to bring the apostles back eventually, and they had to, to warn them to quit speaking about Jesus. And people today are, are often doing the same things as the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, they would like to, to do away with the gospel. They would like to stop churches from preaching, and, and we see it in an in a ever-increasing way in the world. Persecution is, is rising, and people want to stop the gospel. But, but brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is the one that said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You can't stop Jesus. Nobody will ever stop Jesus. No. No, the next time we see Jesus, we'll see him that he comes on a war horse, and he's coming back to, to reign and to conquer. And people will never, ever get rid of him. And he will reign. And we long for his coming. We long for him to reign here on earth. So let me finish with this. What, what is your motivation in following the king? What's your motivation following, following the king? Are you, are you following him because he's the humble savior who died for your sins? Or are you following him because you want something from him? Secondly, do you understand the purpose of, of Christ's coming? That he came to, to die on a cross for your sins and mine, and that by faith in him, you can have everlasting life. And then lastly, what is your response? What is your response to these truths? My prayer is that each and every one of us would respond to him as the true king and the true humble king that he is. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us your one and only Son and that he came humbly mounted on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Lord, we thank you that he came to earth to die for our sins and all who would believe in him. Lord, we thank you that he will come again in power and great glory. Lord, we long for his coming. And like the early disciples, we, we say, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.